he came to Venezuela as a, a tourist and applied for the work visa. And finally, after a year and a half, he came out. Over there, any uh, uh, government officials, they need a bribe for anything to be done. So it took a while, and by grace of God, without bribing, he, 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 he received the uh, two years of work visa. So he's really grateful. Uh, <clears throat> they started one only probably good thing happening in Venezuela is a campus ministry is really working now. Uh, because of economic, a lot of college students cannot work and find that they don't have a job. So these are brilliant college students. They, the leaders and the three Korean missionary families, they are really devoting themselves and training them. And as you know, I went there three times the last you know, year and a half to serve them. And I can tell they are really serious disciples of Christ. Last week, we saw uh, three desperate widows at the crossroads of life. And we heard a most determined resolution from one of them. Her name was Ruth. To the suggestion of Naomi, her mother-in-law, for to return to her family and God and for safety, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I'll be buried. And if I break this promise, may God deal with me severely. Ruth made one of the most surprising and sweetest confessions of a faith and devotion in the Bible. For me, Ruth's choice was one of the top five sweetest and most radical confession of a faith in the Bible. Do you remember some of the greatest confession of faith in the Bible? Do you? Such as old Joshua, the general Joshua said, you know, even if you don't follow God, me and my household will serve only God. And Daniel's friends, even if God doesn't save us, we will always serve him. You know, things like that. And uh, that's the story of uh, Ruth. Today, we will study the second chapter in the book of Ruth. And the main theme today is the uh, topic of uh, providence. Topic of uh, providence. Providence is a very common Christian word. But do you know that this is not a biblical term? But a theological term. In the New Testament, there's no single verse that mentions providence. In Old Testament, there's only one verse, which is Job 10, 12. Job says, you gave me life and showed me kindness in your providence, watched over my spirit. This is an NIV translation. Other translations don't even mention providence. So providence is a term concept to dear to many of us, especially Christians, just like uh, terms like uh, Trinity and theology. And I want to make it clear that uh, because they are not biblical terms, that doesn't mean they are untrue or they are less important. Even though Bible doesn't say anything about Trinity, I mean, term Trinity is not in the Bible, or even the word theology is in the Bible, 
we all believe Trinity and we value theology, right? So, today we will learn about this important uh, lesson about providence. So, what is a providence? Providence came from Latin word uh, providere or providencia, providencia, uh, which is a, a present participle of the verb providere, which simply means provide. And providence, it denotes careful governance and guidance of God for his people. Careful governance and guidance of God for his people. So it, it, it signifies divine care and direction. And oftentimes it comes to us through the God's direct intervention. The best analogy of providence, if you look at the uh, title of our message, is the weaving. Weaving a tapestry. Weaving a tapestry. God is an ultimate master weaver who takes a tangled thread and makes a most beautiful tapestry out of it. I like this analogy of a tapestry of a weaving because we don't always understand divine providence in this process. Often the hand of a providence is seen only in the rear view mirror. You know, retrospectively, we look back and we recognize, aha, that was God. So although we don't see the full tapestry of God, of God's providence in our present, but we can learn very important truth about the providence. That is that God can use especially two important threats to bring it out his providence. And that's the uh, story of Ruth chapter 2. It's a little bit long passage, but let's read it responsibly. First, verse 1 to 17. And we will read responsibly. So brothers, we read first, and the sisters, you follow us. So brothers, ready? One, two, three. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, man of ascending from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So she ran out, entered the field, began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from clan of Elimelech. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young man belong to, that young woman belong to? She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Watch the field where men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I told the man not to lay a hand on you, 
And whenever you are thirsty, go and get drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz replied that I've been told all about you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May I continue to find the favor in your eyes, my lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have a standing of one of your servants. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the ships and don't reprimand her. Let's read together verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. All right. Let's pick up uh, the, from the last chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, when uh, Ruth and Naomi finally returned to uh, Bethlehem, it was uh, barley harvest time. And barley harvest means probably late March on early April. And lasts about a month, and then afterward, uh, uh, wheat harvest follows. And uh, today's story, chapter 2, verse 1, the narrator introduced a third main character of the story and wants to arouse our curiosity and build a suspense. So first one said, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So three things we know about this man, the third character. One, Naomi knows him through her husband. Is a, a, a member of a clan. Clan is a bigger than family, smaller than tribe. In today's term, distant relatives. And also, second thing about this man uh, is that uh, he was a man of a standing. Man of a standing. That's an NIV translation. New American Standard Bible said the man of a great wealth. King James translates a mighty man of wealth. New Living uh, Translation it's a wealthy and influential man. Uh, so Boaz means he, he has a title of a high social standing. Actually, this term is a, he's a worthy of respect and trust and imitation. So he's not just a big shot. He is really, really is a pillar of his uh, uh, community. And this last name is Boaz. Scholars don't know exactly what his name meant, but uh, some of uh, 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 the root word related to Boaz is that a strength. So many scholars, they kind of see the meaning of a name Boaz is that in him is a strength. In him is a strength. And I think that could be the meaning because the writer, the narrator, is a contrasting Boaz to other men in the book so far. Do you remember the Elimelech and the Malone and Killian? They're not strong. 
and uh, they are not dependable. They are all gone. Whereas Boaz is uh, strong and dependable. So here is a third character, the present. And now we will look at the two main threats of a providence. So story goes in the verse 2. Ruth the Moabite. Okay. Throughout the book of Ruth, Ruth was presented as a Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite simply reminds us that she is a foreigner, not belonging to Israel. In today's term, she is from bad town. She is a bad background. She is really has no qualification. Uh, <clears throat> my, uh, uh, my oldest nephew, my brother's oldest child, was born in Venezuela. He's a Venezuelan Korean, and he's, he, he speaks a perfect Spanglish because he was educated here, but he's a Latino, you know, uh, blood, blood or language. And now he's a working, he's starting a new work in Ecuador. But he's a dual citizen. He has a Korean citizenship, South Korean citizenship, and the Venezuelan citizenship. But in Venezuela, in South America, right now, just a recent uh, uh, status is that there are 4 million Venezuelans all over South America. That's more than 15% of uh, the country population, and most of them is poor. So Venezuela used to be the richest country in South America, still holds the largest oil reserve in the world. And they can turn their economy quickly once the democratic, you know, fair government uh, uh, installed. And my nephew, he used to be a proud Venezuelan, but in Ecuador, he doesn't introduce himself as a Venezuelan. Because Venezuelans all of a sudden has a nasty reputation. Of course you're surviving. So you have to do everything. Sometimes they don't do good things. So he represents himself. Uh, his Spanish name is Juan Manuel. Juan Manuel Kim, and so he, he's a Juan Manuel Kim, Korean, not a Venezuelan. So Moab, Ruth the Moabite means more like a Ruth the Venezuelan. And today, she is the one who taking initiative. She was telling her mother-in-law that I'm going to go and then get some food. And especially here is that let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain. And later we know it practice of uh, gleaning. Gleaning is uh, different from harvest. So we need to know a little bit about gleaning. What is a gleaning? Gleaning is a right guaranteed by the law of Moses. In, it, it is an ancient version of uh, a welfare to work or social services or food stamp program. God simply told the Israelite, I'm giving you the land, the promised land, but you really just the managers and the, I'm the owner. And when it's, when it's a time for the harvest, I want you to live edge around the a field unharvested for the immigrant, poor, often oppressed, alien, and needy so that they can take some of the food to their family. And their owners were forbidden to pass a second time through their vineyard to harvest the grapes, they missed that the first time. So, that's the gleaning. That's what the Naomi, I mean, uh, Ruth told the Naomi that uh, I'm going to glean and uh, provide for us. And according to Jewish historical record, 
many Jewish owners, actually they didn't obey the law of Moses. And when some of them obeyed, they were very uh, unkind. So gleaners were often ridiculed, taunted, and even verbally, physically assaulted. Just like today, many people in our country take uh, these migrant workers with a suspicion, especially those who are Trump lovers or MAGA people. They think these are Latinos, these are desperate Latinos, who are the criminals. They are not. They are really poor people desperate for help. So now Ruth decides to go. And uh, this text, the main thing the writer was trying to emphasize here is that how God entered here. And uh, look at the verse 3. So she went out, entered the field, began to glean behind the harvest. As it turns out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turns out, that is an NIV translation. The, the Hebrew text actually said, she happened to, or she chanced to work on field of Boaz. Obviously, Ruth didn't know who Boaz was and where his field was. He doesn't know the, the town at all. You know, actually, if you think about, if you were the Ruth, can you imagine you walk, you going to, going to glean, and you don't know anything, and you don't, people look at you with a suspicion, and then, oh, there you are the strange one, the foreigner. How do you feel? I, I remember when I was 15, I, we immigrated to Argentina, and uh, I have to buy, uh, I have to visit, I have to go stationary store to buy uh, books, you know, uh, pencils and notes. I had money, and I, for the first time, I have to speak to Argentinians in Spanish. I remember how precarious and uh, uncomfortable that walk was. I already have money. It's not that I'm begging. I have money. You know, I have to say, quiero, compre uh, quiero comprar notas y lapis. I've been repeating that sentence over and over again. Here is Ruth without anything. She is uh, relying on the, the mercy of other people, the foreigners. And then Bible said, as she entered, I mean, so she happened to go to her, clan, her relative's field. And if you look at the verse 4, when she's, when she's working later in the first verse, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. What do you see here? We see here, coincidence. Coincidence. Providence sometimes seems, looks like a coincidence. And about the coincidence, I want to say this. Someone said the coincidence are God's way of remaining anonymous. Coincidence is a God's way of remaining anonymous. And that tells us this. Our life is not a random string of events. We have a master weaver working behind the scenes, weaving things together. And we, what we call the coincidence, luck or karma, whatever chance you call it, 
Actually, it's not a coincidence. It's a God's anonymous work behind the scene. It is a providence. And the first thing about the providence, and now I'm talking about the first main thread of providence. Providence works without obedience. Providence works with obedience. There's a Latin proverb says, providence doesn't assist the idle. God's providence doesn't help you know, lazy people. Ruth did not sit there and pray God brings a grain and puts it next to their, you know, their whatever, her fellow. She made a decision. When she said, I will serve you, mom, you know, Naomi, that I'm going to, I never you know, desert you. I'm going to serve you even in your country, whatever, in Jewish land. And then she went to work. She was not a, when she made a promise to her mother-in-law, it was not a, just a lip service. She is a living it out or fulfilling her promise with an active obedience. You know, making promises sometimes easier, much easier than keeping it, right? I remember uh, Jamie's friend who were very comfortable. I mean, both husband and wife, they were professional and then one day in the church, they were convicted and they started, you know, they respond to the call to full-time ministry. So they downsized and they went to uh, Gordon Connor Seminary in Massachusetts and then we visit them. And I remember that Jamie's friend, the wife said, I never knew how hard it is to keep the commitment than making it. Because before they used to live a very comfortable, you know, middle class life, and now they are surviving months to months as a seminarian. That's what Ruth was doing. She was actively obeying her promise to Naomi. And here is an important lesson for all of us. Waiting upon the Lord, waiting on God's promise, I mean God's providence is a never passive. It's always active. In the Bible, waiting for the Lord is not a passive, inactive word. It is an incredibly active word. Just like uh, waiting to get married. You don't just wait for a guy to walk in or a girl to you know, find you or you know, respond to you. You believe somebody going to do whatever you do. And when I was single, I exercise, I look, try to look good. You know, I know because the girls are shallow. I'm sorry. Not the, you know, <laughs> girls like, you know, you know, a better built guy has a better chance than a fat boy, so I, you know, that's whatever. I mean, point is, sisters, when you want to get married, you don't just, you know, ask God to bless to bring the best guy. You also prepare whatever. You learn to cook, you know, I mean, men too, you know. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping in the minefield right now. I cook, <laughs> on my, in my defense, I cook. You know? I improved the cooking a lot, so I'll... Okay, why am I, okay, before I go further in the wrong direction. Master Weaver of Providence uses and blesses our active obedience, even though it looks sometimes a coincidence. And today, I want to, I want, I want all of us, since we have a this last you know, two months, we have many newcomers. I want uh, 
us to remember, the, the members to remember, and newcomers to know one thing. At the beginning of a forest, five years, four and a half years ago, 2015, first prayer of our church was a finding a place to worship. Because we started our, uh, we did our, our worshiping at home. Uh, at the, we started exactly 50 people, about 30 adults and 20 children and infants. So house, you know, was a, I mean, house worship was a doable. But we know that that will not last for long. So our prayer was that uh, we will find a location. And we had an X prayer, ACTS, full qualification for location, accessible. Something that is uh, not far from the freeway, uh, that's uh, accessible. C central, something that is, everybody can reach to our church within 20, 30 minutes. Anybody drove more than 30 minutes? Let me see your hand. I seriously. Thank you, John and JJ. God bless you. You are very special. You are dear to my heart, let me tell you. You know, most of us get here, right? 20, 30 minutes. And then tea was a time. We want to have a place available Sunday morning, not afternoon. And the final S was a spacious, so-called the X prayer for the location. When we started, we, we were confident that God will provide. But after two months, we became very desperate. Dan is there. Dan was, we then, I asked Dan to check it out, the real estate, you know, agent to specially specialize in church rental. We checked everywhere. We called the uh, hotels, uh, schools, and the community centers, everywhere. And at the end, we found out that real estate agent that we need to spend at least three, four thousand dollars for the rental. And, uh, and also, that doesn't include any uh, renovation of the facility. We don't have any, we don't, we don't have any money back then. And reason I'm, by the way, sharing is that uh, recently, uh, two weeks ago, I had a, a pastor lunch with other pastors, and the, one of the pastors, he also started a church just uh, two years ago, and he was so excited. By the way, what pastors do during the lunch, do you wonder? We share highs and lows. Guess who suggested that? You know, I want to make a pastor's fellowship like another house church fellowship. So I say, instead of just, you know, random talking, let's talk about what's the things that we are grateful to God. And so, and so usually, it's, you know, they're slow, but at this time, he was so excited. Pastor Paul, we found a new place to worship. I, I, so I said, oh, what's the big deal? They were using a community center in Carrollton, just for three hours of use on Sunday, they're paying over $2,000 plus. And then finally, they found a partner congregation, a first-generation Korean church that allowed them to use whatever facility in facility and charge, and they're paying them only $1,000. So he was so grateful. Of course, 50% you know, cost reduction in the small church, so he's very grateful. Now, they made me once again, more grateful to God's providence for us. Because you know how we found this church? By the way, we don't pay that much. We pay, it's a secret. We, we pay, ask Sean Choi, our, our treasurer. But we, we pay just a token. We pay utility bills. Just a small room utility bills. 
I mean, it's, it's pay utility bill of this church is a thousands, but we just paid a small room utility bill. And the two, two amazing thing to, for us is that uh, before we came to, uh, so what happened, how we found this church is that First Baptist Church of Plano, they used to host other ethnic churches or other my small churches. And the one of church, a Cambodian church, they had a internal struggle and they left the church. And the, the mission committee person happened to be the client of a Sean Park, is a husband, a blessed husband of a Melissa Cheng. So mother was a client. She had a dry cleaning business in Frisco. And one day, this mission committee person of a First Baptist all of a sudden gave her her phone number and said, do you know anyone wants to use a church? Looking for a church facility. Here is a number to call. And Sean, Park, uh, Sean Park's mother received the that small piece of paper, and then, uh, thank God, Sean shared the prayer request, so gave to Sean, and then Sean got this you know, phone number and gave to me, and I still remember that Sean said, Pastor Paul, I don't, I don't know what this is, but I checked, and then I'm not sure, it's a far away from, he was a very, very shy, sheepish, when he gave me that paper. And when, when I get the paper, I said, where did you get that? Oh, your mother's dry cleaning client or customer gave you? As a pastor, you know, I did. So I said, okay, I'll give a call. I called. That was a cell phone number of a senior pastor. Do you answer your call from unknown number? I don't. <laughs> he answered the phone. And then we talked. And this uh, pastor, Jerry Carla, he said, let's meet the next day lunch. We met right here, you know, Dickie's barbecue you saw in the next to the church. That's where he and I met. And he was uh, checking me out. And uh, so he was, I mean, because we never met before. And he happened to be adjunct professor at Dallas Baptist University. And who worked in Dallas Baptist University year before? Me. I was there three years, full-time faculty. And then he was an adjunct faculty. And so we know a lot of people, you know, and then so I, he also is teaching a class. So what class do you teach? And he said, a theology class. My PhD area was theology. So obviously I want to see what kind of, so I said, what kind of textbook do you use? Because by looking at the textbook, you can see their theological, you know, uh, trend. And he was a very sheepish because he said, Oh, this is not a you know very uh, popular book among the event you know uh, Baptist circle, but I like the book. And, I mean, he gave a long you know beating around uh, whatever, and then he said Daniel Miller's face-taking understanding. Daniel Miller, that's my advice at Princeton Theological Seminary. That book led me to go to Princeton because I liked what he said there. So I shared, and instantly we bonded. And then he once said, why don't you meet, bring your leaders and uh, let's meet our mission people, uh, mission committee people. So in middle of uh, March, we met the mission committee people. And then we, entire congregation came the, uh, you know, next Sunday, greet everybody. And they told us to start worshiping on the last Sunday of uh, March, a week, a day, a couple of weeks before the 
Easter Sunday. Do you know what I was praying at the time? Lord, find us a place before Easter. But starting in the middle, middle of uh, uh, February, my prayer was more like a complaining. Because at the time, we were going through the book of Exodus, and I'm meditating actually the book of Exodus. And I said, God, you took care of 2 million people in wilderness for 40 years. You cannot take care of 50 people? Don't expect me to really preach on your greatness. I don't find, you know. Ah, my prayer was more like an accusation than an intercession or whatever, supplication. And uh, I was hoping, I didn't even, you know, I mean, even though even I announced it, but I don't have said that, let's pray by the uh, whenever. But exactly two months, two weeks before the Easter, we found this church. And when I asked him how much we pay, you know what Pastor Jerry Carlisle said? We are not a, land, we are not a landlord and a land, you know, renter relationship. We are gospel partners. You reach to people that we cannot. That's all. You don't have to pay anything. So out of uh, four uh, congregations here, we are the only one who is paying because out of the gratitude. And mo most uh, humbling thing is that we just pay a little bit and that they are so grateful because that's another story. When you receive God's providence, show your gratitude. You know, sometimes Christians we are beggars. We are sort of shameless beggars. We just enjoy other people's you know, kindness. But for our church to be here, seven coincidences happened. Cambodian church left. Mission committee person you know, uh, uh, talked to Sean Park's mother. Sean Park's mother gave to Sean. Uh, Sean. Sean gave to me. I gave a call. Pastor Jeff. So seven coincidences come together. And that's how God provided this place of worship. And when we follow God with active obedience, God will always lead us. Hallelujah. Amen. So first thread of a providence is active obedience. When you have a need, after you pray, go out, look for it, do your part. Somebody jokingly said, oh, someone said, someone said, God, you know, I, I'm praying for the jackpot of a lottery, but you never, you know, answer my prayer. And God said, well, you never bought the ticket. No? Well, I mean, you know, when we pray, we act. We pray as if everything depends on God. We act, everything depends on us. That's a paradox of a faith. Now, let me go to the second point. Now Boaz came. And the Boaz uh, conversation with uh, everybody, that's the, the uh, longest part of this message, I mean this text, but it's, I'm, oh man, I, I, I'm already two-thirds of the way, but let, let me go fast. So Boaz came, Boaz came and look at the verse four. He greeted a harvester, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Boaz came to inspect, but it's more than just an inspection. You can tell they have a, such a work environment, good work environment. They bless one another. Lord be with you, Lord bless you. I hope when you go to workplace, you can bless your people. 
co-workers around. By the way, I know some people, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm bringing it out, the Sumi Kim, the, the one of the founding members returned to, you know, back to uh, uh, New York. Sumi, I remember that she goes to work early, and the first thing she does is that she, after, you know, 30 minutes of her work, she comes out and she greets everybody in the office. I said, that's what Boaz did here. By the way, don't go to work late and greet. That doesn't work. In order to welcome everyone, you go early, and then you do, you know, be a good worker, and then greet everyone. And then Boaz noticed, he noticed that there is, a, there is a somebody new. That means, you know, he, he cares about his employees. And they told her, they told him, that she is a more, I mean, the question is, who does a young woman belong to? You know, that's identity of a woman in ancient world. They don't have their own identity. They belong to somebody. Sisters, praise the Lord. You're born in the 21st century. And she is a Moabite who came from back from Moab the, with a Naomi. And then she, and then the, 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 the foreman told him everything. And then Boaz called Ruth. And look at the, how Boaz, you know, respond, to, I mean, address Ruth. Boaz said, my daughter, verse 8, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from there. Stay here with a woman who worked for me. And watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I have told the man not to lay a hand on you. Whenever you're thirst, get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. First thing he called her was what? My daughter. My daughter. It's an affectionate term of endearment. Which also shows that Boaz is a few years older than, definitely older than uh, Ruth. But more importantly, what? He is uh, treating her like a human being. Oftentimes, the migrant workers, they are not. Do you know the guy, people who do the lawn work, the Latinos, their names? And also, he said, work along with my female servant. And back then, the men, they do the, they, 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 are in the, uh, they did an actual reaping and the woman followed behind them, collecting, binding piles of uh, cut grain and loaded up the wagon and transport to the threshing hole. And uh, so Boaz said, that don't work alone. Work along with uh, my uh, female servant. You know what is he doing? He's a providing community. He's a providing community. And also he said, don't go anywhere. Stay in my field. And I instructed my men not to lay hands on you. He is also giving up protection. Boaz is such a gracious, generous host who welcomes us so much provide treating, giving her, recognizing her humanity, giving her community, providing protection and respect. And this is a boss. This is a kind of a people that we should be, right? And the roots, verse 10, fell, fell face down to the ground. 
bow down with a face to the ground. This is an Old Testament you know, description of a worship, actually, prostrating before God. Ruth was blown away by Boaz's graciousness. And she said, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Actually, literal translation, how, how, how can you notice uh, unnoticeable? That's the more like the literal translation. I'm a foreigner. I'm a total nobody. And you recognize the nobody. You notice the unnoticed. You recognize the unrecognized. And then this is a Boaz answer. I love Boaz's answer. Boaz said, I've been told all about you and what you have done. You know, how you served your mother-in-law, leaving your father and mother and everyone. And then verse 12, Boaz said, may the Lord repay you what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz said, no, Ruth, it's not me. It's your kind. You are, your, you are the one who practice a kindness first. Your reputation precedes before you. We talked about you. You are such a caring, loving, caring person. And we are so impressed by your commitment to your mother-in-law. And may God bless you richly. Here, the Boaz, the one thing I really love about Boaz is this. When he said, may the Lord repay you for what you have done, and then may you be richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel, guess what Boaz is actually doing? He is rewarding her. You know, as he blesses Ruth, he is actually rewarding her. Repaying her all the things. This shows how much Boaz loves the Lord. People of God, we want to represent God. We want to really do what God, is, God wants to do in this world. As a Boaz was not just saying, this is again, not just an empty lip service that Ruth, you are a great woman of love and the faith in you, God, and may our God, Yahweh, bless you. That's all not the word. He's actually being a hands and feet uh, and the givers of God. Ruth, I mean, Boaz is a blessing, Ruth. As he prayed for the blessing, he is a model Christian believer and child of God. He is doing what he's praying for God to do. That is, uh, that is a second threat. This uh, gracious, generous hosting. And here I want to tell all of us, especially those of us who have been in our church more than a year, you are the so-called regular members of this church. Are you hosting new people? Are you welcoming new people? Why is there silence? I hope. You know, later in the verse 20, 
Naomi heard everything that happened to Ruth, and this is what Naomi said, the Lord blessed him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Hebrew scholars, they are kind of a puzzled because Naomi's word here is very unclear. You know, the Lord blessed uh, uh, Boaz is clear, but the second sentence, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. They don't know who that he is. Is that a, the Lord or is a Boaz? Do you understand? This is kind of confusing. There is ambiguity. And biblical scholars said, interpreters said, this ambiguity is actually intentional. It is not sure who is a blessing. Ruth, is it Boaz or the Lord? And this intentional ambiguity is to show those who love God always want to show God's kindness to others. Just like Boaz is doing. Yes, Boaz is a model Israelite, gracious, generous, host of newcomers. In this role model of every church member and kingdom citizen. And I want all the foresters to become a, such a role model person. Amen? Not only in the church, wherever you go, proactive, welcome the new people. That's how God wants to, God welcomes us. And that's how God waves this providence, the, the, the beautiful tapestry of a providence. I'm going to conclusion fast. Verse 17. So Ruth gleaned and filled until the evening. Now the result of a providence. So far we saw two threads of a providence, right? The active obedience and the generous, gracious uh, welcome. Or hosting. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered in amounted about an ephah. You know how much is an ephah is? 30 pounds. 30 pounds. You know how much 30 pounds is? I brought this. This is a rice bag for 15 pounds. Two of this. She gathered two bags of this much barley. In one day's work. And verse 18, she carried back to town. Her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over. She had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you blah, blah. Oh, everything else we already know. They, they talked about. Now question is, can you imagine Ruth returning work from Boazville to Naomi? I bet she broke the fast walking record in her life. I bet her return walk home was much faster than her initial walk to the field. Because in the morning, she was not sure where to go and glean. She kind of, you know, sizing up everywhere. She was uh, recounting, I mean, she was surveilling. She a, was a very slow, uneasy, Praying full of worries and concerns and prayers. God help me. God help me to find a kind person, kind person. At the end, she got not just a little bit, she got the two, that's 30 pounds of uh, food. 
Scholars say that where did she get? She probably took a, you know, her usual whatever woman's veil and everything, and she's she just you know gathers somehow and she's bringing. And can you imagine how joyful she was? And and also you know leftover lunch for mother-in-law Naomi. The joy, I bet, Ruth. Is coming back to a home with a, such an incredible joy. You know, providence of God always leads us to this uh, I mean, this is uh, surprising joy. Surprising joy. I call it divine operation of a uh, shock and awe. Not those uh, military shock and awe. This is a uh, operation of a great spiritual shock and awe. Both Naomi and Ruth, they were shocked by the amount of uh, generosity and grace of God through Boaz. And they all, what kind of all? You know what Naomi did once she received? She began to bless. Lord blessed him. Do you remember end of chapter 1, how Naomi was, how her, spirit, her spiritual condition was? She was so bitter. I went to full. God brought me back empty. I lost everything. God afflicted me. God attacked me. Don't call me Naomi. Sweet. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. Bitter person doesn't bless other people. Naomi, at this God's gift of a providence, she is now blessing praying a blessing. The providence of God turns her bitterness into blessing. Naomi, the Mara, is finally returning back to Naomi. God is healing her bitterness. Dear brothers and sisters, when we follow God with active obedience and gracious, generous also responds to welcoming others. You and I can create, can be part of this incredible healing and joy and surprise and shock and awe of God's grace. Amen? It is my prayer that all the members of our church become a boys, as well as a Ruth. We're going to sing a song, our dedication song, is to listen to our heart. And I want us to read, uh, uh, I want us to hear the, let's read together. One, two, three. How do you explain, how you do describe a love that goes from east to west and runs deep as it wide? And you know all our hopes. Lord, you know all our fears. And the words cannot express the love we feel, but we long for you to hear. Listen to our heart, hear our spirit sing, a song of praise that flows from those who have redeemed. We will use the word we know to tell you what an awesome God you are. But words are not enough to tell you of our love. So listen to our heart. Let's stand and sing this song as our prayer. I'm sure the spirit of Ruth and Naomi are with us and they will join us singing in heaven.
So let's pray 